Today, I'm joined by a very special guest because this is a conversation I have been planning for quite some time. Bruce Shear joins me. Bruce is the author of Inspire Your Buyers, and we're going to go deep into the book that is really resonating with marketers all over the planet. And we're going to find out from Bruce the framework behind the book, his backstory, and a whole host of other things that are going to help you to sell the sizzle. Welcome to the episode, Bruce. Thank you, Neil. I'm excited to be with you and your audience. This is going to be great. It, it is. And this is something we've been hatching this plan to talk about this book for quite a while. And, and you've been busy jetting off here, there and everywhere. CES last week. You're a very busy man. Hey, man, that's how we like to roll. Uh, enjoying life uh, through that process, moving around and being stimulated by so many different things, clients and oh boy, CES last week, uh, Neil, your, your audience is going to hear me have a little bit of a, I, I, I brought back more than just good memories. So uh, that, that's why I might sound a little bit odd until you run me through a, uh, Adobe's AI audio enhancer technology. Uh, but <laughs> I, I will sound a little bit funny. But um, anyway, some of the trials and tribulations on being on the road. Absolutely. And yeah, it's a price we have to pay, isn't it, for the latest technology for these innovative yeah. ideas and things. But you know, th though. this is not new stuff to you, is it, Bruce? I mean, you are a seasoned professional who's kind of sort of, you know, practiced your art now in uh, the sales sphere, if we could call it that, for, well, many, many years now. What kind of drew you to sales? Because it clearly is from when you hear Bruce talk and when you see Bruce's work, you, you just know this is a thoroughbred salesperson who just lives and breathes salesmanship at the highest possible level through and through. What, when did you kind of first know that sales was your thing? Well, uh, boy, Neil, uh, I've been focused on sales and business development and, and specifically consulting uh, for my whole career. I tell people jokingly, I've never worked. Yeah, I, I just have fun doing client, client gigs. And, uh, you know, I, I touch many clients every year. And uh, the beauty around that is I'm just having different experiences. And it forced, you know, and I jokingly tell people my clients pay me to read, my clients pay me to learn, you know, because I got to learn about them and I got to figure out, hey, what's the best go to market strategy? So it's strategic. But then how do we go to market in terms of being compelling, both from a marketing and a sales side? I've personally played the role of founder, CEO, CMO, and, and often if it's an early stage company or startup, I'll, I'll be an acting CMO, uh, but I'm, I'm more of a kind of a, a performance CMO uh, where it's all about sales. And I'm typically working in the B2B space uh, and uh, it's normally a complex solution or a big ticket item or both. And uh, it's a nut to crack. How do we help customers and our buyers, you know, get convinced that this change is necessary and they're willing to make the investment in time, money and energy and career risk typically to move forward with, a, you know, one of my client's solutions. So I've been mm -hmm. doing that for, uh, I, actually, I'll show you a little bit some of the clients that I've worked uh, with and for. Let me uh, share that with you guys. Um, you know, so you'll you'll see a number of different, you know, top tier logos there, large enterprises. But I've been doing, you know, kind of go to market sales enablement effectiveness work for these guys before the world word sales enablement e even existed. <laughs> so my whole career. 
Mm. And it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because obviously being startup, chief exec, CMO, but actually having this kind of, I guess, sort of, you know, angle from a sales perspective, a very commercial kind of focus. You've, I guess, been bridging the gap between sales and marketing for, for many, many years, because often in a lot of organizations, large, medium and small, there's this chasm between sales and marketing where they're not necessarily talking the same language. They don't necessarily see eye to eye, almost that you could argue they've got different objectives. When, when have you seen that play out really well, where actually sales and marketing are playing to a single kind of um, end game or a single goal? Oh, gosh. Um, oh, uh, uh, one of my favorite success stories of, of where this really worked out is, um, and some of the ingredients for it to work out is, um, you know, I'm, I'm typically working with the revenue leader whatever they might call themselves, uh, chief revenue officer, chief sales officer, they've got a mandate. They've, they've got to sell. They've got to hit revenue targets. Uh, otherwise, they lose their job, which often happens. So talk about a, you know, a pressure cooker for, for most of my clients and uh, that, that are bigger. And then if it's a smaller organization, I'm typically working directly with the founder and or CEO you know, who's responsible for sales and, and hitting revenue targets and growing that business successfully. And um, so when, when I've got the right stakeholders on the bus, uh, we, we can break down that divide, that barrier between marketing and sales. Doesn't happen very often though. Very often I see in large organizations, really distinct stovepipe de departmental activity. Marketing does this, sales does that. And, and it's super sad. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a travesty, but, uh, when it does go well, um, one of my favorite success stories here locally, where I live in the Seattle area, a company called Tableau, they, they sold themselves off to salesforce.com and, um, you know, all my clients are multimillionaires right now and, uh, in enjoying life on the beach. And, and also many of them are still working because they love the work they do. But in that instance, you know, I was brought in. And um, I, I was building a sales narrative and my initial mandate is they were trying to get into enterprise accounts and make enterprise sales. And uh, if you've heard the term, you know, they started off with a product product led growth strategy where, you know, giving a free trial and somebody could download it and play with it in their department and take it to their boss and get their whole team using it. And then then it would kind of spread across the organization with that product led growth. But part of their strategy was, hey, that's not good enough. It's not fast enough. And we want to sell to bigger accounts. How do we do that? And so they brought me in to craft a narrative for them, a sales narrative. And in so doing, I had the revenue leader and I had uh, the vice presidents of sales and I had their CMO, all of us really tight with that mandate. What's our go to market story? And uh, it, it really, really worked exceptionally well, uh, so well that um, it, it just became mandatory training for everybody across the whole company. I had people in product groups going through it, you know, customer success groups, you know, it, it, whole com it became a whole company story and, um, you know, all the way up to the chairman. And then it became part of new hire training. You know, this is our mm -hmm. story. This is our, you know, this is our narrative. So everybody coalesced with that, which made it really powerful. Extremely rare for that to occur.
for me to have that type of uh, stakeholder connection in these large accounts. Again, you know, you know, it's typically a divide. And another time, uh, an enlightened CMO, um, he went on to be CMO of Citrix, but the the company before uh, it was really sad. I built a sales narrative for the sales organization, and um, this I showed it to the CMO at, at the sales kickoff event. He loved it, and then he put corporate marketing on hold and had them redo everything around that new narrative. Uh, just like a year and a half ago, I did one for a company called Fiserv. They offer technology to banks, and it was more their digital banking story. And they invited me in to, uh, they'd hired another a, a marketing agency to do the standard messaging map and some of the you know beautiful research that went around that, but they didn't have a story. And that's where I had uh, came in to add my value, working with that agency, getting their inputs, and then crafting that go-to-market narrative and introducing that to the sales organization. You know, here's mm. the story we want to tell. There's a, there's a powerful phrase that you use there, which I'd like to kind of try and unpick here, which was the whole company narrative. Now, that to me is really quite intriguing because it could, kind of going back and paraphrasing my initial question, which was how do you kind of broach this chasm between sales and marketing? But you've extended it here by saying, well, actually, no, it's, it's the rest of the organization too, because they'll all have their own perspective. They'll all be talking from their own kind of you know position, if you like, and their yeah. own discipline. It gets really confusing, doesn't it, then for the outside stakeholder, be it a customer or supplier or anybody in the outside world to kind of really understand what you guys are talking about, because you've all got this subtle difference there has to be one whole company story doesn't that typically not even a subtle difference as you say it's normally wildly divergent <laughs> adobe acquired a company that i did some work for and and um jokingly neil i always say that you know i, I interviewed 10 executives and i got 10 distinctly different answers <laughs> on what their story was um you know so yeah very often it's not close it's it's even you know disparate you know wildly different so, mm. you know big issue um neil i wanted to introduce a concept it's not in the book but maybe your i think your audience will probably love it in terms of the importance for everybody to understand your go-to-market your sales narrative um, it's a concept of, that, that uh, another colleague of mine in the past uh, coined called doer seller. At the end of the day, everybody's a salesperson. Even that tableau story I told you, um, this woman in learning, develop, learning and development that was uh, organizing the workshop so we could introduce the sales narrative and also get people to practice with it. We even had people whiteboarding that narrative so they could inculcate that, start to build that into their memory and body, what that story was. And so she, of course, was observing the whole thing, but she shot me a note. She goes, Bruce, I was down in Vegas and, uh, you know, one of our uh, prospects was there at this event and I sketched out our story and, and he's buying from us now. It's like, awesome. You know, she's not carrying a sales bag. She's in a learning and development function, but yet selling the business, selling, the, you know, and, and that's uh, the concept for that is doer seller. 
you know, some of the most important people to roll out your narrative to would be customer success, especially if you, especially if you want recurring revenue and want to keep those customers, you need, you know, your uh, customer success people really being a master in that story and helping everybody understand, you know, that, that North star around that story that you have. Mm. And it kind of it's sort of it's a shared passion then, isn't it, really? Because I, I can imagine then an organization doing this with every discipline, just feeling it and embracing it and embodying it. If yeah. it's a very, very powerful story or narrative uh, or proposition, so all of the above you know, is included here, people oh, just yeah. will on, get on it. Won't they? On that port, the point that you're making about the power of a narrative. Um, I was working with the president of um, McKesson Technologies be before uh, McKesson hired that off for themselves. And uh, so they've gone through a few different manifestations, of course, how technology companies do. Um, but at that time with that president, it was so cool. He had trusted me in the past and he just said, hey, Bruce, you and, and I was working with an enlightened CMO at that time. Uh, the president said, hey, you make the story, the story you want us to tell, I'll make it happen internally. And so it wasn't just a story, you know, putting lipstick on something. We He had to fundamentally change their offerings to support our story. And it fostered a partnership, uh, a deeper partnership between McKesson and Microsoft at that point in time because of the story we wanted to tell. Now, that's really interesting. So what you're advocating there with that example, then, is is it, was a question, because otherwise I was going to make a statement, it's a question here, is it story first? So story comes first and then everything else kind of infills behind? Or is it that you collect together all of your competencies, your assets, the kind of propositions that have gone before, and then you craft the story in that direction by taking the best bits Kind of which way round is it? I want this to be really practical for everyone. Is there a better way round? Oh, yeah. The better way is I, I would argue story first. You know, that's the the strategic narrative and and then and then everything fits within that that canvas, that that structure, if you would. Um, but what's normal is hey, we're going to market, or hey, Bruce, we're in market and our story sucks. And then, and then you're trying to put lipstick on something and then and then that creates, you know, consternation and, you know, and and, and it's a bit of a rough, rough trudge through the mud, you know, because, hey, you know, the the core, the horses are already out of corral, as one of my clients said. How do we deal with it? Mm, you know, but ideally, yeah. ideal world, you know, there's strategic thought that goes into things in advance with, with great intention. And then we build and design for that story we want to tell. Not very in 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 the real world that doesn't play often play out that often. And you can imagine that being almost the textbook way of doing it for for a startup. You know, you begin with the story first, then you start to roll out your capability. But even there, it's but really unlikely to happen because a lot of it's tech, is isn't it? Yeah, yeah. The the founder in a startup's a technologist and has a great mm. idea for technology around the problem he thinks he had or she had. And, and then tries to push that out. Hey, here's the answer. Here's the answer. And and that's no way to sell, both uh, through marketing and selling. You know, you lead with the problem that you're trying to solve for to the right buyer. And um, however, here's something that you might find interesting, Neil. One of my old clients became uh, head of uh, strategy for Office 365 for Microsoft. 
and he was forcing his engineers, product engineers to go through storytelling training. Because as they were looking at functionality and how to enhance, he wanted the story behind it versus just the technology path. Isn't that I, I want that story, mm. that, that buyer centric story. Mm. And it takes you out of yourself, doesn't it? That's the thing. This is not something that is nuts and bolts, widgets or you know features. And it's not even benefits here. This is something way beyond features and benefits. This is kind of a real narrative. It's outcomes. It's changing the world even, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, I was just talking to a guy last night. Um, he was uh, trying to get my feedback on his narrative and he's trying to improve leadership in organizations. And, um, his solution name was very, you know, self-centric. You know, if, if you look at my model, you know, target the right buyer, show or uh, spotlight the big problem, envision the outcome with, your, uh, with, with that buyer, and then you need to showcase the solution in all, in all its glory and then prescribe next steps. So that's that's the core framework within the book. But with him, he was calling uh, the solution. I think it was leader or first leader system. And then he trademarked it. And I'm like going, OK, that's solution. That's the solution name for you. That's your offering name. But if we were to be buyer centric, what would the solution name be? And, and then that brought forward a lot of different brainstorming. And then it ended up being, oh, it would be leadership, you know, new leadership without risk. That's really the solution to help, you know, that organization to have sustainable growth of solving that problem of just in time leadership where um you know or reactive ad hoc leadership somebody leaves now we need to fill that position let's raise somebody up to their level of incompetence uh, you know which is normal and, and hurts everyone so he wants to move them from there to be more sustainable and have more sustainable growth how to do that create more leadership opportunity without the associated risk and then I've got this offering and services and this and that that's going to make that possible. So very buyer centric and how you how you approach things like that. Mm. So 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 we've can't, we've constantly sort of talked a little bit about the book. This everybody is the book. Uh, it's inspired buyers and having read now cover to cover this book, it's it's masterful. I think that is probably the word I could sort of use, which kind of sums this up. I mean, I've been in marketing and, and sort of business development roles for, for well, it feels like forever. Um, and this is a moment in certainly my reading career, if we could call it that, where suddenly just for a moment, there was a beauty and simplicity because a lot of the kind of the, the, the texts, the narratives and the, the teachings around this kind of stuff go super deep into the psychology. They get really heavy in terms of, you know, traditional theories. But Bruce's book, and I want to go into this with you, Bruce, because it's the simplicity of the model that gives the power to the model. So take us a little bit deeper into both, you know, what your 
kind of framework is about, but also kind of some of the motivations between each of the steps. Because I'd love for people until they actually get a hold of a copy of this, and we'll put the obviously the links to the book uh, in, in the uh, episode notes below. But mm-hmm. I want to kind of give them a flavour of the journey through the model to selling the sizzle through oh, inspiring sure. your buyers. Yeah, if you wouldn't mind sharing my screen, I've got a couple of visuals that that would illustrate that for everybody. Um, Neil, you could come back a little bit. I just, I, or I, I don't know how we do that and keep you in, but with the book, inspire your buyers, um, go to market with a story that sizzles. It's kind of funny, Neil. Um, I wanted this book to sizzle and therefore I didn't want to make a big, uh, big fat book. Like I normally receive from others, you know, 70,000 words, 50,000 words. I think that, you know, uh, a business book these days is anywhere from 25,000 words to 50,000 words. Many of them tip over that, very few underneath. And there's this belief that you have to have a certain amount of heft. And I'm so grateful that somebody whispered in my ear, Bruce, write a book that uh, your target audience, and for me, I, I work with business executives, that they could read in the course of a flight. So here's two business executives slash friends sending me photos, unprompted photos of them reading my book on the course of a flight, you know, (laughs) mission accomplished. Very, very cool. But the, the whole genesis of this book, it started with me being stuck on an island during the pandemic. And I had enough time and energy and desire to write a book that, uh, that somebody could read in the course of a, a flight or, or recently uh, a friend of mine used to be head of Disney consumer products for Asia. He read it in the course of a doctor's office visit being stuck in the waiting room. <laughs> so, so it's not a lot, you know, it's simple, but I jokingly tell people, Neil, light on calories, rich in nutrients. And uh, cause it, it, it's uh, to use a phrase that one of my friends loves to use. It, it's, uh, deceptively simple and mastered by few. So the the core framework, I'll illustrate that, Neil, and then then please come back and ask me questions. But it, it's a five step model, and it starts with number one. Before you do anything in crafting your go to market narrative that sizzles, you need to identify your target buyer. And uh, when I work with organizations, boy, oh boy, do we, you know, gnash teeth and try to figure out who that is, multiple opinions, et cetera. But what I'm trying to understand is what organization are we targeting for, you know, where we're going to get the most traction and hit our revenue numbers that we're accountable to. Uh, So so where are we going to get our traction? What types of accounts or or organizations or opportunities? And then who within the account are we targeting? Who's typically the the business decision maker uh, amongst, uh, you know, the the six to 20 people that are involved in the decision making process, depending on the solution. And so we got to figure all that out. So that's one chapter in the book. How do you target the right buyer? Then from there, we want to spotlight the the big problem is what I call it, because typically the decision makers that we're selling to, they're concerned about big things, not little things. So what's the big problem that we're framing for them that they agree with? Yeah, guilty as charged. I've got that problem. And I know that because I have all these other you know symptoms and challenges and everything else. But yeah, the central 
ugly dilemma that I have, that's my big problem. So I'm really trying to, and I use the metaphor, Neil, of a spotlight because I, I want to don't talk about solution. Don't talk about anything else. Don't talk about me. I'm just talking about you and your problem, putting all the focus and all the attention on that. Hence the metaphor of a spotlight. It lights everything else up in, in its in its circle. Everything else is in darkness. And if uh, I always contend, if you don't have agree agreement with your prospect that they have a problem to solve, cancel future meetings and move on. You're wasting everybody's time. And uh, so nail nail the problem. Problem first. Then from there, and you know we talk about envisioning the outcome. So when that problem goes away and we move forward together, what can we expect? What's the desired outcome? And, and you can work with your prospect to uh, envision what that outcome will be. And, and so, um, you know, in the book, I talked about uh, John Chambers, um, former chairman of Cisco, how he grew it from millions to billions when he was there i asked him for his number one piece of sales advice and he said sell outcomes don't sell products so that's where this comes in that's the aspirational state getting everybody excited for change hey not only are you going to get out of hot water that that horrible problem state that you're in you you get to go to this future state that's just absolutely fantastic your wildest dream and then if you have agreement there these two points, problem and outcome, if you have an agreement on both, then you can start to ease in, well, how do we get there? What's our solution? And I call that showcase the solution. Now, now let's look at it and all its beauty and the awards it's won and everything else in terms of that approach. Why is it so awesome? And then if, if, if they love that, then we move on to prescribing next steps typically stated by, hey, this has been a great conversation that we've had. Uh, based on my experience in this conversation, here's the next steps. And that's part of a beautiful sales narrative. So again, just to summarize, five key components. Target the right buyer, then spotlight the problem, envision the, the outcome, showcase the solution, and then prescribe next steps. That can be on the website. And then also it should be infused into those selling conversations as part as the core narrative of, of that selling conversation. Neil, over to you. Wow. Wow. Well, that is, uh, yeah, quite some summary of the book. I mean, yeah, that's really, really inspiring. I think for a lot of us who need that kind of clarity of the step by step, and it's, there's a couple of questions that I've got, which come directly from the way that you, uh, that you couched that. And the first one is to do with this kind of spotlighting. So if, again, B2B, I know you're, you know, super experienced in, in B2B sales. In B2B sales, obviously, you have a number of different, let's say, influencers in the purchasing decision. So you might have the budget holder, you'll have an influencer, you might have the end user of this, yeah. you have other people kind of pitching into the decision process. How much is it then important to be almost creating lots of different spotlights? Do you have to change the story for each of the individual target audiences, even in one particular customer? Yeah, uh, you use a kind of a strong word, change the story. And very often I'll have um, 
I'm working with a founder and his company. It's a business to government company and um, having a lot of fun with these guys. Uh, yeah, they, they were responsible when um, the U.S. government shot down the Chinese balloon. If you ever saw that, Neil, mm. they had data and a report on, on every decision maker's table minutes after that occurred. Here's how, why, when, answering all those questions of, of why we took that action, why, why that happened. Um, so anyways, they do some really cool intelligence work. Uh, but even they, they were looking at, you know, hey, we, we want to sell into all these different sectors. Don't we need different stories? And the buyers in these sec sectors very often are different. Do we need a, a separate story for every buyer? And uh, the answer is no. You know, if you do that, you're going to create confusion. Um, you know, so normally what you'll do, <clears throat> and I did this, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the company Alcatel-Lucent. I, mm -hmm. I feature yeah. them in the book for, for this reason. You know, do we have to craft all these different stories? You know, when I started working with them, I think they had 146 products. And um, when I was done, they had four uh, and, uh, yeah, we, um, we crafted a central narrative, but then we characterized it, you know, we tailored it for different verticals and then the sellers using it would, would tailor it for the different buyers, the different roles that they were selling into. Uh, but, but the narrative was a narrative. It was, it was a, a standard thing and it, it, it didn't vary all that much. Mm. So is there a, there's a, the way you're describing that then, so there's a, like a, almost like a local translation when you're face to face with a particular individual and you're using the story, you're almost giving them permission to say, okay, well, you can kind of tune it based on their kind of Absolutely. feedback that they give or they might want a, a specific um, element that goes into supporting the story. They might want some extra evidence or something like that. So you can kind of customize it at a, a, a gentle level. It feels like there's a little bit of flex in there, but the overarching story has to remain. Is, is that right? That's right. Yeah, we'll, we'll teach sellers how to make magic in, in those moments, you know, because at the end of the day with your buyer, you're, you're actually trying to co-construct the problem and the outcome and the solution. It's a very engaging, interactive dialogue. And, and you'll see that I, I, I make point of that in, in the, the sizzles model that, that's in there, you know, how to, how to have your narratives, uh, make sure your narrative sizzles, um, you know, a framework around that. But you do want to be engaging in, in those dialogues and, 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 and be co-constructive on, on the problem, outcome and solution and next steps. Now off a website, you can still have your central narrative uh, and very often you'll see something like that in an about section of the website. But, you know, very often you'll see who we serve and and, and you'll click on the the, uh, the vertical that, that you're associated with because you're interested. And um, and then you can tailor the narrative there using the language of that sector. Um, so it lands a little bit better. So it's not just uh, the selling conversation. You can tailor it you know, from some and part of the marketing assets, et cetera, the content marketing that, that's done, you can, you know, make different, you know, executive briefs or white papers for different audiences and, you know, and tailor, but, but uh, the value of it is to hold on to that central nature of the narrative. Uh, mm -hmm. It makes life so much more simple for everybody.
So from marketing speak, it would be things like brand guidelines is a is a big thing that's often bandied around. But the, these are kind of story guidelines, aren't they? This is your core central kind of theme. And then you as a sales professional or marketing professional, learning and development professional, in your example a little bit earlier in our conversation, you can then sort of take that and then you can make it relevant to the person you're face to face with that feel that feels is a real kind of confidence builder here you know you're not going to be going out there sort of untethered or rudderless you're going out there with a a very clear almost brief that you're taking out to the world and that must be great for people particularly if they're um, new to an organization maybe you know they've been in position for maybe a few months and they're now facing these kind of senior executives that they're looking to sell to you've got then the confidence that hey i've got a story that i know works okay in the moment i might tailor it to your particular need but i can go in now with confidence that's a great great emotive thing isn't it oh it's huge yeah and and I'm, i'm constantly getting the feedback from newer reps you know um oh locally in my world i was working with a company called concur and they were um acquired by uh sap in, in the travel and expense space uh, for you know several billion dollars. Those founders really did well. <laughs> um, but with the, the reps, uh, you know, a lot of times the content I make will live online. And I, I had instances of reps just camping on that content and seeing the analytics around that. Um, and normally when, when this all goes well, it just becomes part of onboarding for any new rep and you know, where they get the story and they're ready to go. But most organizations don't offer that. They uh, the the they're product centric in their onboarding. Here's the product. Here's how the technology works. You need to understand these details, you know, so you can answer questions around the product and be credible around the product. Now that's true to a certain degree, but that's way later in the buying cycle when you're talking to people that care about that. You know the the you know the the influencers of the buying decision that are kicking tires and stress testing and you know you need to get into some of those conversations the demos etc. But it, it's not the same as uh, you know the 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 central narrative that you would have that that executives will care about. Mm, so so just for clarity for 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 me really and I'm guessing for maybe some people listening then this is the way to build a relationship because. You can't build a relationship on product features, can you? If you're in that conversation, nobody's going to say, oh, yeah, Neil, you were amazing the way you talked about that product. But if I tell them a story, there's an opportunity for them to kind of feel like, oh, this is a real person. I could actually get into a professional relationship with this person. It takes things out of the kind of the commodity selling sort of you know field of chaos doesn't it into something that's really quite special it's a real differentiator this if you get it right isn't it yeah hence why i use the word sizzle um the origins of that uh, neil uh, when i coined that title i was thinking about you know what sizzles and so if you're in a mexican restaurant if you ever go to one you know when somebody comes out with a plate of fajitas everybody kind of turns because they can hear it and yeah and they're like oh damn wish i would have ordered that that (laughs) (laughs) That looks good you know that's what i'm trying to get to with that sales story or that central narrative you know just something that sizzles It's, it's 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 unique and so when you talk about relationship i think about a differentiated buyer buying experience 
So there's data on this, but most buyers, especially senior buyers, they uh, or, or decision makers, economic business decision makers, they uh, most often feel incredibly underwhelmed by uh, if they do get involved in those selling conversations. They're low level, and and as you said before, they're they're product centric, feature function, benefit centric, and, and low level, and and very very often there's little to no value to them and a waste of time. And it's a sad thing because, you know, it, it, you know, the cost of an executive per hour, it might be up to 10,000 bucks an hour that you have of time that that seller wasted uh, of that executive's time, what the organization's paying for. So how can you meet their expectations? You need to have a compelling narrative, one that's uh, that sizzles, that has insight within that. They, they learned something they didn't know before they had an interaction with you. They, it's an interaction that would have been so good, they would have gladly paid for it. Mm, is that the differentiator then? I mean, I'm just thinking from a That's practical sense. Executives are yeah. friends. I mean, they, they got enough golfing buddies, et cetera. Are, you know, but, you know, what's the centricity on the value creation in that dialogue? Mm, there's a great key their language and, and there's three, three, three key components, Neil, if you're selling to buyers, I, I call it the heart, the cog and the money symbol. Have you ever heard the phrase people buy on emotion and then they justify with logic? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. That narrative, that is the emotional component. You got to stick that narrative, you know, where, where they, they emotionally want to change. And then you can help them rationalize it with the cog. How, how are they going to change operationally? And can they see that? How their, their current way of doing things is broken. And then how the, the new way is going to be fundamentally different. I know you talk on AI quite a bit for your audience and, and good for you taking people into the future. But that's pre-post. You know, how are they doing things now without AI? Can you see how that's going to die here? But here's what it looks like with it, you know, AI infused. It's fundamentally different and awesome. You know, so you got to help them, you know, uh, see that. And I, I call that the cog. How do things change, you know, that way operationally? And then the money sign, you know, it, you know, where's the real business value in making that change? So if you can nail the three of those heart, cog and money symbol, then you know you're on to something and that customer's probably going to buy from you. Make that mm, a Yeah, and I love that point. And I, I didn't want this to go by without everybody really kind of hearing this one. I love the point you make there about it needs to be at a level where somebody would actually have paid you for that sizzle or paid you for that moment, paid you for that intelligence or information. Because yeah. that is, is such a key performance indicator, isn't it? As to we are actually doing this right now. If you feel when you're crafting a message that this is so good that somebody would actually pay to hear this, then you know you're onto something, don't you? Because I think a lot of people, they would say, oh yeah, well, we love our messages. We've got some great marketing, we've got some great propositions. We're doing a little bit of this. Don't know if it's up to Bruce's standard, but we're kind of doing okay. And they're actually paying lip service to it. They're not really pushing the boundaries. I think what you're advocating, Bruce, if I'm right, is this has to be so good that people would actually pay to have this sales meeting with you. That yeah, you sets it. a whole new bar, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it really is. So exciting. 
I think there's a real challenge you know, here to everybody. Or, uh, when I ask a revenue leader, hey, would, would people pay to meet with your reps? And, you know, <laughs> you know, you know, and then you're into that low grade, you know, persistent chasing, spamming, you know, all, all that yuckiness, you know, devoid of insight and value versus really showing up, you know, a buyer first to, to help create that value. Mm, that's critical, isn't it? The the other thing I wanted to touch on with you um, in this this kind of model, the various steps, and I know people who obviously are going to get a copy of the book, they're going to follow this through step by step to get to this final one. But you talked then about the next steps, the taking action. How does that kind of play out with this narrative, this storytelling? Is there a certain pattern of kind of next steps that naturally fall out of this? Because I'm quite curious as to, you know, if we've built everything up to being this incredible story, everyone's like, oh, waiting for the punchline or, oh, they want to get part of this. And, oh, you've got some products and services to sell. Fine, I'll sign on the dotted line, but take me to the next step in the journey because I would have paid you to hear that story. If they've kind of built them up or you've built them up to this crescendo, what is that next steps in reality then? Because that's got to also be so motivating, hasn't it? There's got to be like no stone unturned there. It's got to be really powerful. Yeah, you've got it so right. And that's why I call it prescribed next steps. You know, many sellers, junior sellers, um, will I go, hey, you know, this has been a good discussion. What should we do next? And, uh, you know, you ask the buyer, they don't know. So their typical response is, send me more information and we'll have some internal meetings and, and we'll get back to you. And, and then, you know, the seller chases them and say, hey, have you met yet? Or no, not yet. Still, still reviewing. They haven't done anything. And then, you know, after a while, it just dies on the vine. <laughs> you know, the bigger things moved on. You know, CEO got canned. There's a new one, new initiative. You know, you know, just time goes by. Horrible, you know, because you know you had a good dialogue. You made a case for change. Now, what are the next steps? So, um, I did a project. This is my most stressful project in my career. But um, the the sponsors of this project were Steve Ballmer, who now owns the LA Clippers, one of the professional basketball teams. Super hyper dude. I mean, oh my god. Um, look out. And then, um, you know, you'll know why he's a multi-billionaire, <laughs> you know, j just on fire. But then also Mark Hurd, uh, who was at the time CEO of Hewlett Packard. So um, they hired us to do go-to-market planning and narratives around eight different solutions between HP and Microsoft. And uh, it ended up being a recommendation for them to you know, jointly spend $375 million on marketing to bring those joint solutions, those eight joint solutions to market. So uh, what I did with each of the solution teams and these kind of the solution owners and the product people behind them, I asked them, hey, what are the next steps? When we've got an excited buyer, what, what, what do they do? And it was like, uh, mm, uh, yeah, uh, you know, maybe, uh, you know, and it's like, okay, guys, not good enough. I want to hard code this. What are the next steps? You know, is it a meeting? Is it an assessment? Is it a business case? Is it a proof of concept? Um, is it references? You know, uh, what are the next steps that need to occur for uh, that customer to come on board? 
and you know, for them to sign the dotted line and, and get going. And there were, there are a few different things that we did to make this all successful. You know, we took a peer to peer approach to getting the right prospects and the right buyers. So, you know, we were, you know, through the economic buyers at Microsoft and, uh, or the business leaders at Microsoft and HP, we were doing a peer to peer talking to their counterparts or people of that caliber on the, the buying side, on the, on the prospective client side. So that was one tactic that we took, but I, I, I still contend one of the best tactics we took was hard coding those next steps. And because of that, we had, um, these were multi-million dollar you know, bets by that client to buy uh, the, the, these big solutions from HP and Microsoft, big enterprise solutions. Um, we had a, over a 50% connect rate, meaning the buyer bought when, um, when they went through the next steps. And um, it, it was beautiful. We won a, you know, a, a award of the year for HP, et cetera, on that uh, by the marketing people that sponsored bringing us in. You know, they were the, they were the heroes, funny enough. It was the marketing circle of the year award for HP. Wow. So uh, yeah, yeah, just the power of those prescribed yeah. next steps and, and just making the buying easy. You know, and, and, and framing those next step offerings up, but it doesn't just happen on its own. What is an assessment? Well, we need a tool that assesses and, and a process for that, you know, so you got to think deeply about each one of those next steps, or we're going to do a workshop with the stakeholders. We're going to get all 20 of those guys into a room and, and do some magic there to make sure we've got consistent, consistent, uh, consensus on the road ahead. Well, what's that workshop look like? Who's running it? And what are the requirements for it? You know, so you got to kind of dig deeper to hard code a next step like that. But that's what we did. And, and that approach works. Most wow. most organizations don't do that, that I see. They, they wing mm. it uh, and the, they get random results. Yeah, the, the, there's a pattern here, isn't it? That I think I've heard you now say, Bruce, maybe about four or five times, most organizations don't do this. This is obviously mastered by few. Well, yeah. And I this is where for, for me... And I think for me, this is where it gets really interesting because this feels like then if you do take these approaches, if you do pay this extra attention, if you do go this extra deep with a potential prospect or existing customer, you can actually stifle the rest of the marketplace. You know, honestly, that they wouldn't. Why would anybody go anywhere else? This, this feels like such a differentiator, your, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Yeah. I tell, it, it, again. A story that sizzles, uh, you know, you, you know, you, you stand apart with, with, by, mm -hmm. by doing this. But it's funny, you know, sometimes, uh, Neil, I'll hear people say, Bruce, this is so simple. It just seems normal. And I'm like going, you know, are you doing it? And they're, yeah, I think so. And I'm like going, what problem are you solving in four or less words? Okay, you can't answer, can you? You know, you just rattled off a whole bunch of challenges, but you have not named what I call the big ugly. You have not named that, that big problem. Mm. Got some work to do. You know, so I mean, it, it, you know, it's again, deceptively simple, but I rarely see it. Mm. 
So the most deceptively simple thing you can do here is to get Bruce's book. So how do people get hold of the book then, Bruce? How do they connect with you? What are the next steps? Let's prescribe the next steps for everybody listening to this. <laughs> yeah, if, if you're intrigued, I, I would recommend reading the book. And, and also, you know, routinely I'll, I'll have people love the book and then they have their management team read it and, and, and realize they've got work to do. Um, you can get to the book off my website, inspireyourbuyers.com forward slash books. It's on Amazon. It's, it's a, it was a number one bestseller. It's a bestselling book there in, in multiple formats, Kindle, uh, Audible, and then paper and hard, hard copy. Uh, funny enough that are getting way more popular these days. Um, but that's a way to get the book and uh, to interact directly with me. Um, off my website. You can schedule time with me if that's uh, interesting and relevant to you. Uh, and also I'm on LinkedIn and quite responsive. So um, you can reach me at, you know, it's B-S-C-H-E-E-R on LinkedIn. That's, that's the, the real Bruce. The real Bruce. So if you want to connect with the real Bruce, and there is only really one Bruce. <laughs> yeah, From what I'm hearing here, this this is a connection you need. So uh, Bruce, this has been an absolute pleasure. I mean, I, I've been looking forward to this one, as you know, and I'm so grateful for your time um, and the amount of value that I think you're bringing to you know, sales. And I have to say, and marketing, because often we don't say that enough in marketing, that sales is bringing us value. Um, but you certainly are for sure so thank you so much for your time and uh, i'll implore everybody to go and get a copy of that book because it is it's really masterful really special well thank you neil for your service and all the value you're adding for your audience thanks for having me as a guest i was glad to contribute